Hi folks and welcome to episode 30 of the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast. Um, before I introduce uh, my today's guest to you, I should probably say something about the podcast in case you're just tuning in, this is your first episode and it's just a random one and you have absolutely no idea what this is about. So the Sweet Spot on a Farm is a podcast about health. I interview professionals from uh, Northern Ireland and Ireland and we talk about um, natural health, natural therapies, good food, organic farming, basically anything that has anything to do with staying healthy in as natural way as possible. And my guest today is somebody who is really excited about joining the ranks of those professionals and joining the community and somebody who's studying to become a professional and uh, somebody who's basically gone through very similar journey to my own but seems to be quite a few steps ahead of me and that somebody is Carrie Freud and I am very excited that I uh, convinced her to do the podcast with me today. So Carrie, um, I probably should say something that's really important and this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you because your journey is very similar to mine. But you used to be a um, cake maker and actually by cake maker I mean you were making edible sculptures basically. You are yeah. you're incredibly talented, a very, very artsy person and your talent is just unreal. I would never eat the cakes that you were making because they were just too beautiful to, to touch. Um, uh, but, uh, that obviously comes with, um, you know, it's a cake, it comes with a lot of sugar. And now you're somebody who's incredibly passionate about nutrition and you're studying to be a professional in, uh, in, in nutrition and when it comes to healthy food and healthy eating. I Would you mind sharing this journey, how that well, It sort of came to head when I actually did have my own business because obviously I was very stressed and my health took a complete nosedive. But prior to that... I did have health issues and I had run back and forward to the doctor and they just see me as a young person. They were like, oh, you're living life. You know, you burn the candle at both ends. And then it just progressively got worse um, till then they actually, I got a doctor to actually listen to what I was saying to them. And he sent me to a rheumatologist and they said, oh, you have fibromyalgia, which ended up being like a double-ended sword because at one point it was like, oh, thank God, there, there is something wrong with me. I'm not mad. But then... The other issue was then that every time I went to the doctor and said, oh, I feel like this, I've got this, I've got that, that, oh, that's just a symptom of fibromyalgia. There's nothing we can do about that. And I just got left with that. And I thought, well, me being me, I thought, oh, well, that's what it is. I'll just battle on here and tour on. And then obviously progress with the business until the point it, it, <laughs> it grew me almost. And, uh, and then I just got really, really ill. And nobody could, I kept going back to the doctor again. and they go, oh, that's IBS, you know, that's a symptom of fibromyalgia. And I just was butting my head against the wall. It got to the point I was so ill, I then sold the business because I just couldn't be, just couldn't deal with it anymore. And I sat for a few months. We actually, when we sold the shop, then we actually moved house. And the house we were living in was a really, really old house. And it had, there was mould growing in it. So when we moved to our new house, I felt so much better. But I never thought at the time, oh, this is a mold thing. And then 
I went back to work then just as, as a normal job because I just couldn't I couldn't um, be confident in my health to know that I could be self-employed again. So I just sort of plundered on and then I started to be sick. Like I would eat something like I have eaten like for my whole life and then I would just like just be sick. I went back to the doctor and they just looked at me like oh, we haven't, you know, at the time, you know, like you're an overweight person, you know, overweight people don't have like food allergies, you know, because then you'd be thin was quite literally what I was told. And I was like, right, OK, so I, the job I had then was in at the time I actually had private health care. So I thought I'm going to avail of these services. And I took myself off and got tested and turned out, yes, I did have food allergies. And uh, I stopped then obviously consuming the foods that they told me. One of them was mold, actually. Not not that it was a food, but it was an allergy. I was actually, so that would explain why I felt better once I moved out of a moldy house. Um, the other one was horses, which was a bit strange because I grew up with horses and obviously my dad and my sister were horse riders and we had stables and there was horses there. And obviously I never took any interest in the horses. And I'm thinking, was my body said, no, Gary, just stay away from the horses. <laughs> like my dad was a bit upset. I wasn't interested in horses. So then I cut the food out, and, but I felt so much better. I was like, wow, this is... And it was a really bizarre list of things. It was like potatoes, like what Irish person doesn't doesn't eat potatoes? I'm like, I'm Irish, how can I be like intolerant to potatoes? <laughs> but uh, it turned out it was tomato. It was all the nightshade family. So it was... To- Potatoes, tomatoes, aubergines, peppers, chilies, things like that there. And they told me I was lactose intolerant. And corn. And I was like, oh, that's really practically everything I eat now. Okay, we'll just have to work at that. Um, so I did that. Felt a lot, lot better. And then obviously I was just researching on. Um, went back to my doctor and went, hmm, there, there you go. You know, you said there was nothing wrong with me. Clearly, like there was. And the doctor got a bit shirty about it because I'm... <laughs> You know, just totally dismissing his medical degree. The attitude of my GP was that we just treat symptoms. We don't really have the time to be finding out what these problems are. And that's all I did because years prior to that, I had carpal tunnel. And they put that down to me just being a cake decorator and permanently piping and kneading and piping and kneading. And that turned out that that was indeed because that came back again. And I'm like, I've had surgery to physically remove that problem, but it's came back. And it was just down to inflammation. And it seemed to be that inflammation was the cause of every single thing that was wrong with me. And obviously the food allergies had inflamed. You should have seen my face. It was up like, I actually seen a photograph of, my, of myself. Obviously I don't photograph myself, but my uh, uh, husband's aunt had taken a photograph of, uh, can't speak, a photograph of us together. And I was really shocked when I seen my face. I was like, my God, I look awful. And I had big black rings around my eyes and my face was all like discoloured. It was, it was like there was a shadow over my face, around my nose and down around my... It just looked awful. And uh, and the fibromyalgia was still there. It wasn't as bad as it was because obviously a lot of the information was gone with the allergies. But it was still there. So I was on a fibromyalgia grip and they were saying that um, a lot of them were... There was a, a nurse that came in to deal with like pain to talk it was like a pain clinic and she'd came in to talk to the fibro people about it and she was talking about various uh painkillers that were used um tramadol and things like that there and i was like i just wouldn't even entertain that and then she had said if you get past the stage where painkillers are not effective anymore there are certain drugs that are for epileptics they would put you on because it controls the, the spasms in your body 
And I was like, all oh, right, okay, very good. And I would have got like pains in my shoulders that I used to call like white heat. That like it went it went beyond pain. It it was just like somebody had just got like a big hot molten something and just put it on your body. And uh, and I was like, right, okay. And again, stayed away from medication. And then because of this link with the epilepsy, I just happened to be reading about children with epilepsy and that they treated them with the ketogenic diet. And I was like, oh, right. Okay, well, if fibro is a central nervous system and they say they can't treat it, well, obviously they're treating, you know, epilepsy is a central nervous system problem. And I went, I'll give this a go because you just get to the point where like, I'll just try anything. I didn't want to be pumped full of drugs. Oh yes, at one point they actually did tell me that I was just depressed. And uh, sent me to the psychiatric hospital in Ards. And they were like, yeah, you're depressed. And I'm like, no, not depressed. I'm just really, really tired. And they're like, no, no, you're definitely depressed. And then they <laughs> handed me this month's prescription of antidepressants. And I'm sure, take those. You feel grand. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, <coughs> I, and I was like, I am not a pill taker. And I went, right, again, at the point, I was, this is prior to finding out about the epilepsy and the, the ketogenic diet. And I was like, right, I'll try it. Took them for a month, just sat like a vegetable and went, not making me feel any happier, definitely not. But they're not making me feel anything, really. And I was like, this is not what life's about. And I didn't renew my prescription. And obviously I wasn't depressed because that didn't make any difference to me. So that was then when I, and then after that, I discovered that epilepsy was being treated by the ketogenic diet. It was discovered back about 1911-1915 by an American doctor whose name escapes me now. And he started to use it on children who had really severe epilepsy. And at the time they had no way, drugs hadn't been um, uh, sort of found to treat it. So this was the only way. He actually discovered when he had the children on the ward that if he fasted them for 24 hours that their epilepsy like really, like either totally bottomed out or like majorly reduced or just disappeared altogether. So the, he then was obviously taking urine samples off them and he realised that they always had high levels when they were fasting, they had high levels of ketones because obviously the glucose is out of your body, the glucogen. And it was from that point then that they then used that and they actually still do to this very day use a ketogenic diet on children who do not respond to medication for epilepsy. And uh, that was pretty much how I started my keto journey. I went, I'll try it. I found a guy called... Uh, Butter Bob on YouTube. <laughs> and he's this uh, sort of middle-aged American guy who would have maybe been about 25 stone. And his wife had died of cancer. And they pretty much told him he was heading in the same direction if he didn't lose a lot of weight. And he said his wife was gone. He said he didn't know how to cook. He was just this man, like, what do I eat? And he said almost like having no cooking skills at all was the best thing for him because he just kept things really simple and just like fried his chicken legs, drumsticks in their skin, in the in the fat, in the pan. And he just lived at the, And that man just lost, he lost half his body weight. And it, it was phenomenal. And it was Bob convinced me then, <laughs> you know, that pretty much because I was like... You are like told, you know, fat's really bad for you. Don't eat this, don't eat that. And I just sat and watched Bob's journey. And Bob was then coming on with his, and you know, his lipid uh, tests. And he's like, my cholesterol's dying, this is dying, everything's dying. You know, this isn't killing me. I'm getting my life back here. You know, he was able to, 
He said like he went to his kid's graduation and couldn't even sit at the front and watch it because he, he wouldn't fit into a chair, you know, to watch. And he had to sit away at the back on a bench, you know. And he said it was just humiliating, things like that for him. And it totally changed his life. And I was like, Bob, you have convinced me. And I then went off and researched a ketogenic diet. The more I find out about it, the more um, I watched um, YouTube videos from like I'm just not Bob. I then obviously once I found Bob, I then went and found the medical, scientific stuff that was report that was backing up what Bob was saying, and there was like Stephen Feeney and uh, Dr. Tim Nooks, who is a South African cardiologist who himself developed diabetes, and he said he was he was a long distance like he was a marathon runner and he was like why have I got diabetes I'm a slim person you know. And then he was the person that started to make the connection then between uh, diabetes and heart disease that they were connected. It was a metabolic condition rather than just like diabetes was a condition on its own, you know, heart disease is a condition on its own, you know, strokes a condition on its own. He put everything together and put in the diet but because he was he was a sports scientist, like this is what this man did, you know, he put programs together for, for like Olympic athletes. <laughs> And all of a sudden he was like, everything he had ever been taught about nutrition was absolutely and totally wrong. And he then started to turn turn the boat about it by saying, no, it's not fat that's the problem, it's the carbs that's the problem. And yeah, and he pretty much was the forerunner in it and, and almost like lost his career over it because he was been told he was misinformed in the public over, over eating fat, over sugar. Um... And that was pretty much, that was the people who really influenced me into doing what I do. Because, you know, whenever you read that, you know, Inuits who have, uh, live on the Arctic Circle, and obviously you can't grow crops on the Arctic Circle. So they were, uh, they just live on animal fat. And they, they, and they keep the fatty parts of the meat for themselves and give the lean parts of the meat to their dogs. Because obviously dogs have the, the protease they can break down. The, the protein that we're humans, we can't break that much down. Uh, although we do break it down, but obviously not as efficiently as, as a dog does. So they keep the real fatty parts and they eat that. And they do, they boil up the bones and they drink all the bone broth and they get all their vitamins, uh, the mineral the minerals out of the bones. Um, and their diet, the only time that a member of the Inuit population has a problem with their heart is when they eat a Western diet. And... That there, to me, there was actually a doctor who's a name, name escapes me, that he lived with the Inuits and he observed their lifestyle and he came back to America and was trying to say to the industry, you know, I've lived with these Inuits, I eat fat, look at me, I'm as healthy as, you know, as anything. And they were like, oh, that's a fluke. And they actually, he got them to lock him up in an asylum for a year and feed him a, an Inuit diet of just high fat low carb diet for a whole year because he wanted to make an experiment out of it and he's like well if I'm out walking about you should be saying you know I'm doing this you know and sneaking off and doing something else so he was observed 24 hours a day eating this diet and obviously they drew bloods and stuff did tests on him and (laughs) his cholesterol didn't go through if he didn't die of a heart attack he didn't take a stroke he didn't like have high blood sugar he didn't have any of the things that like a western diet would would say and they were sort of like, but you're just eating meat. You're not getting any, any vitamins and minerals. There's no fiber. We're like, you know, you're not eating a proper balanced diet. But they have actually now discovered that the reason why like Inuits don't need like antioxidants, like 
vitamin C, vitamin A, things like that, that we would assume you get from vegetables, is because they're is exactly what they are. They're antioxidants, and they don't need them because they don't have a, an oxidating diet. And they discovered things like this. And you know, people always say to me, you know, oh, would you not go here have a banana? And I'm like, oh, it's full of sugar, you can't eat banana. And they're like, oh, where'd you get your fiber? And, and your vitamins and your minerals. Um, the only thing I would say is it probably because the Inuits do use every bit of the animal. Um, probably as a Western ketogenic diet, we wouldn't, I would still have to take my electrolytes because obviously I'm not. I have tried it. I have made bone broth numerous times and I just can't palate it at all. I just can't take it. Um, so I would still take my electrolytes. Um, I've just my potassium, magnesium. Another one as well, uh, another culture that they um, examined is uh, the Maasai in Kenya. Um, tall, giant, giant people. They are... Um, Nomads, again, don't grow any, don't settle anywhere long enough to grow any crops, but they do herd. And if they need salt, they actually drink the blood of their animals and they will take in their minerals that way. Oh my God, that actually really grosses me out. Harry, you do realize you're talking to somebody who's primarily on plant-based diet, right? No, I know. Oh my God. I didn't um, think this is the time. This I'm actually like... makes me squeamish. <laughs> but this, it's, it's what keeps them going. and. It's quite funny is that the down in the river basin there is another tribe of people and they are indeed settled farmers, grow crops and they are short, overweight people <laughs> and you go to the Maasai, very lean, very tall people. It's just, they just meet and they eat the meat of their animals and they drink the blood. I've tried the yeah. keto diet and it's it's for me it's kind of became a bit of necessity because my body really started to react to carbs yeah. and it's primarily the processed carbs that are the problem and yeah. grains that yeah. are the problem but I am doing it more plant based and oh yeah. my god it's tough I did think about that when you were coming I was like mm, I'm going to be talking about keto when it's all meat and bacon and eggs <laughs> But it's totally, I mean, like I am on grips because even sometimes I'm like, oh, I just don't even want to look at a bit of bacon today. And there is, you can't do it. I mean, obviously, um, great oils come from avocados, coconuts. I mean, they're vegetables. They're definitely plant-based. Um, I mean, you don't have to eat meat on a keto. There is a way around it. I would prefer to like eat wild animals rather than eat something that's been reared in a farm for me to consume. Um, like my sister has her free range eggs I eat her free range eggs and I really know that those animals are really cared for like her chickens have names and you know run around her farm um, <clears throat> to eat those and the likes of wild fish I mean I just wouldn't even entertain the idea of a, of a farm salmon for one thing well this is actually a very good way to show you what carbs do to you because carbs fatten us up and it's exactly what they do to the salmon in salmon farms is they feed them corn to fatten them up and if you look on farm, farm salmon, you'll see seams of fat on the salmon, like through, you know why the salmon's flaky, and you can see like the seams. I mean, and then it, lift that bit of salmon and then go and find a bit of wild salmon. And wild salmon looks nothing like farm salmon because wild salmon is not force-fed corn. You went on, on this whole keto diet journey and I, I, I did see you a while back after the keto and I nearly didn't recognise you. Yes. You lost ton of weight yeah. your skin is yeah. incredibly yes. beautiful 
cleared up, clear eyes. You looked really healthy, and mm -hmm. you still do. Like mm -hmm. it's a, honestly from mm -hmm. when I saw you, whenever you were was yeah. running crumb cakes. Yeah. And when I see you now, it's like a day and night. Well, I like I feel it. I mean, like I wouldn't have went back. I would have never considered to go back into education if it wasn't for keto, because my mental clarity and everything. It was like unbelievable my husband said like he had a new wife and he quite literally did because he'd only ever knew like you know fibro carry and then he got this keto carry and he was like this this is amazing like when we we were out we went on we we took started to go camping and take ourselves off and walk up hills and mountains and <laughs> do all sorts of things like john you were lucky to get me out of the house and get into the car let alone like walk the length of myself like at my worst like to get a shower took me all day the time I like motivated myself to do it, get into the shower, actually have a shower. It exhausted me just having a shower. Got out of the shower and then it's like, oh, I gotta go lie down. I need to go and lie down because I'd be just totally wiped out just from having a shower. To somebody like we went down around County Clare and to, yeah, we went to Crook Patrick and I was like, I joked with him. I said, let's go and walk up Crook, Crook. we'll walk up Crook Patrick. And he thought it was like, you know, a wee hill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not the biggest mountain in Ireland, but you know, it's not far off. It's <laughs> you know, it's pretty. I know there's people have different reasons to go up, but mine was almost like a pil pilgrimage. You know, you know, to my health. So it was you know rather because I'm I'm not a very religious. Well, I'm not a religious person, but this is why I went up it. And I was sort of if I can make it up that hill, well then, wow, not hill, the mountain. You know. Uh, so we drove down. He knew nothing about this mountain. So we did. Made up to the top. Climb. It nearly broke me. <laughs> so you get about four fists to the top of it and you just think you're never getting to the top because it just gets really steep and rocky to the top. But I got up and I was like, oh my God. But I have to say, coming down was just as bad because it wrecks your knees. Come back down again. But yeah, that was my moment of like, yeah, I beat this now. I've definitely beat this. I've got it. I've got it sussed. And then I, after that then, I then... Uh, signed to a university access course and I was like that's it I need to go and because I was trying to I became very evangelical about it and I was trying to tell people about it but I didn't really have the scientific knowledge to like like am I even saying the right thing or like is that right it's like am I going to tell people you know and I didn't really have the confidence to know what I was saying and I got really interested in nutrition and you just want to tell people you know stop throwing pills down your neck and and, and just you know, change what you're eating. Obviously, keto doesn't work for everybody, but mm -hmm. you don't have to go uh, on keto to, to become healthier. You just really mm -hmm. need to learn to know your body. And yeah. I'm amazed how, how people who have health problems and that's kind of environment I grew up with, like my family are no exception when there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. They don't look at, oh, maybe I'm eating something that's yeah. causing this. Yeah. It's all, oh, I just need to get a pill to fix it. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at what people are eating and it's all processed. It's everything comes from a packet. It's yeah. all pre-packed, processed, yeah. Con yeah. contains so much sugar, chemicals left and right. Half of it is synthetic. Yeah. It's not even a real food. And I'm just thinking people just eat real food, food. that came yeah. from the ground. I have friends who have children and they've been diagnosed with like AC, you know, ADHD and things like that. I'm sort of like, but do you look at what you feed your children? You know, and I can't turn around and like tell them how to parent their children, but I'm just sort of like, mm, <laughs> you maybe want to cut back on some of that stuff you're feeding them. You know, sugar makes you hyper. Then this is the problem is that they feed them 
rubbish and then the kids act up and play up and then they want tablets given to them to make them quiet again. It's like if you just take one thing out of that there, you know, that solves all your problems. And I'm not saying that's the answer to ADHD. Obviously not. There's obviously underlying problems there with some children. But a great deal of it is like, seriously, just... And this was when I went back to the doctor many a time. And I actually then started to question the doctor. Like I, you know, said I'm better. Like I have did this because... When I went on the keto, I went back, I went to my doctor and said, you look, I'm on keto because I wanted them to keep an eye on my lipids and stuff. And I got the official, you are a balanced diet, blah, 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 NHS guidelines, blah, blah, blah. And then my doctor went, yeah, but keep on with the keto. You know, she had to give me the official line because she didn't want to be responsible if I killed over with a heart attack going, yeah, I told Carrie to do keto, it was fine. So they kept an eye on me and everything was, it was fine, perfectly fine. My blood sugar's like, I, at the time, I was pre-diabetic, and they dropped like down in the normal range of a normal person. And all, and all these really bizarre things started to happen. Like, my hearing got better because I would be like, my husband would mumble, and I'd be like, "What?" And I actually realized I had stopped going, "What? What? What?" to him all the time. I, was like, I didn't have really bad eyesight, but I wore glasses, and I had seen one optician, and then obviously went back because I haven't had my eyes tested like in years. And then I noticed my eyesight had really started to deteriorate because I was doing really close work and got the glasses and then obviously went back up for my checkup. And I had been on keto for about six months at this point, went back for my checkup and she was like, scratched her head and she was like, and you were wearing glasses? Yeah, yeah, I was wearing glasses. And she went, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. And then she got really like, really annoyed then because she thought the previous exam was wrong that somebody had made a mistake about my eyes and I'm like no it's just uh, I changed jaw I says uh, I changed my diet I'm not eating sugar because I knew that obviously blood sugar because my grandfather went blind with glaucoma so I knew that that high blood sugar affected your eyes and then uh, and obviously caused the inflammation that press, pushed pressure on your lens so I was like yay there ding ding for keto no more glasses then in work, because of the job I had, they checked our lungs to make sure that nothing was affecting our lungs. And they had told me I had the lungs of like an 80 year old. They then kept an eye on me because everybody else maybe like once a year, but like every six weeks they'd keep an eye on my lungs. And it turned out I had asthma. So then I went on keto and I could feel I could breathe better. And, uh, and I decided one day that they were doing the, the couch to 5k run, although I find running really boring, so I never kept it up. But the first time I'd done it, I was like, I can run, I can breathe, I can run, oh my God, this is amazing. I was like, oh my God, I'm not like ready to keel over with like, you think somebody had burnt hot molten lava down into my lungs. I was like, oh, I can breathe. And I, I, I did like for a couple, and then I went, no, running is really not my thing. This is just, it's just not my thing. And uh, went back and then it worked. She went, Carrie, oh, there's the nurse. She wants to see your lungs. So it went in, blue, and she went, nothing wrong with your lungs. And I was like, ding, inflammation, lungs all gone. I'm so glad you mentioned this because this is so funny with the eyes. I have glasses mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I was wondering what that is. Since I stopped eating carbs and I kind of mm -hmm. had to, I didn't purposely go on keto, but I mm -hmm. thought, you know, I really have to cut down my carbs because I've been gluten-free for years. I just yeah. can't take gluten. And it yeah. turns out I'm actually really allergic to wheat yeah. and gluten. Yeah. Um, I had the blood tests finally done and mm. it just confirmed that. But um, um, so I haven't been, but, but I've been eating all these gluten-free kind of grain-like seeds, you know, like buckwheat, amaranth, yeah. millet, yeah. quinoa. Yeah. 
and then and like for the past maybe year or two I just felt like really tired like I would have sprouted buckwheat with like vegetable like plant-based meal and like 20 minutes after that I would just feel like I was just hit by a bus and I would just mm. have to like even at work like I would spend lunch times like napping I just felt like yeah. just so exhausted like falling into a coma mm -hmm. and I'm, so I had to stop all that and I was at, at one point my carb intake got so low that I was like right okay I might as well like I never measured my ketones or anything mm -hmm. I'm just my carbs are permanently pretty much under 50 60 grams yeah. gross carbs yeah. I, I just can't and I feel it like last week because I started different workout routine and I my body mm -hmm. requires more calories like I'm fucking eating like like <laughs> I'm expecting triplets and I'm not pregnant but yes. I'm just eating so much yeah. just changing workout routine but back to the eye thing I was wearing glasses and mm -hmm. I, I I'm, I'm short-sighted and I would need glasses for driving mm -hmm. or in the cinema when there's something with subtitles to see mm -hmm. the subtitles mm -hmm. I have been kind of on like super low carb diet um, and eating like loads of vegetables and like but mainly primarily plant-based fats and and protein for close to a year now and I don't wear glasses for driving anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't need glasses to see yeah. the subtitles when I'm watching something. It's incredible. Yeah. I am human and I do drop off keto now and then. Oh, I can so tell. Like the, my eyesight would be the first thing that's affected. And about a year ago, I had a complete wobble. Well, I got made redundant from my job, <laughs> which is enough to give anybody a wobble. But it wasn't even that. I then went to a job where I was working a few hours here, a few hours there. There was no routine, no nothing. And... The thing about keto is you have to be really organized and you have to have routine and you have to be able to like cook in advance and stuff that completely went out the window plus my husband works shifts so me and him were eating at like totally different times and it was just awful and i felt clean back off it again and started to like just consume whatever was the easiest thing to consume oh god yeah i could yeah everything it didn't everything didn't immediately come back but it crept back in again eventually. And actually, on my the period I fell off the wagon, back again to the doctor, I became a full-blown... I was pre-diabetic, but I actually... Just that short, like, six months of just consuming, like, lots of crap again, I became a full-blown type 2 diabetic. Whoa. I have members of my family who have, like, had strokes in their 40s, like, I'm 43 now, and they'd had strokes in their 40s. Like, my granddad was dead at the time he was 55, strokes, heart attacks, glaucoma. Again, these are all... It's all diabetes. This is all metabolic problems and uh yeah it's a real it's a real eye opener and to know that just by going on a ketogenic diet uh just making such a, such a difference to my life expectancy you know as because people go oh, but it's only diabetes people are like no oh, there's only diabetes like it's it's not anything bad you know it's like i don't know having a flu or something you know not kill you but it's it's part of a metabolic condition. They sort of go that, oh, people who have diabetes are more likely to have heart disease, have strokes, blah, 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 a whole list of things are more likely. But that's because it is all part of a metabolic condition. And I actually, because off the keto had, just periodically would check my blood sugar. And I actually discovered myself because one day I did fasting, blood woke up, pricked my finger, 11.5. And I was like, that's it back over to the doctor and they were like and then she even looked at me because people 
don't diagnose themselves as diabetic because you usually find out you're diabetic after you've had a stroke or you've got dementia or you've had a heart attack and I was sort of like in like going yeah I think I've got diabetes and I'm like oh yeah my friend they're diabetic and they just sort of like you know did my sugars didn't want it to, again you can't go into a doctor and say I think I have because I did this it doesn't just doesn't go down well the doctors so there's a thing they do they check like your inflammation markers and they do it by a blood test. They look at your red blood cells. And there's markers on them. And she came back and she was like, yeah, you are. It was like, yeah, it was well for it. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I'm a type 2 bag, type 2 diabetic now. But um, I know that because this is only a process starting for me, I can't go keto until they have checked me over. And then... I start into it then because if I go now and go and see my diabetic doctor with like you know 4.5 blood sugar they'll just send me away again and go mm. you know so uh yeah I have to almost abuse myself to get some treatment on the NHS for diabetes <laughs> it's ridiculous this is yeah I am um, do you know I, I I love the NHS but it's more the idea of the NHS than the way it actually works like when when honestly and this is my rant for this week <laughs> When is the Western medicine going to wake up? Like, this is just wakey, wakey. Hello, anybody there? <laughs> national Health Service. <laughs> to be honest, people can see of our National Health Service and I'm like, mm, yeah. They do treat symptoms rather than treat the cause and that's the thing that really annoys me about them. And I personally believe that everybody should be uh, have that the inflammation markers checked for diabetes because at the end of the day it's saving the NHS money because if they find out that say at 25 you are pre-diabetic they know to keep an eye on you because by the time you reach 45 you know you're going to be have full-blown type 2 diabetes where they can almost like preempt your conditions up to that point by getting you to do lifestyle changes by getting you to change your diet um, instead of waiting until, you know, you're like a 50-year-old with a heart attack and going, oh, yeah, you're diabetic, you need to change your lifestyle. It's really silly. <laughs> the system is, like, the yeah. system is definitely broken. And, and I've talked about this before yeah. with, with other people. Like, the system's definitely broken. But um, you're kind of maybe going to be part of those yeah. who are going to fix the system. So yeah. when was the point um, for you that you decided, right, I'm doing this academically and I'm going to be a nutritionist. It's a bit like, you know, these activists that end up going into politics because it's the only way you can change yeah. the system. Well, that's kind of like I'm going, because I do have a history in the food industry and I have worked from like little artisan cake shops, i.e. my own. And I have worked for like large industrial bakeries that it is industrial it is industrial it's food processing as much as you can go you know or you're buying you know a nice packet of sausage rolls in a shop that's by a certain bakery you go no i've seen those certain those sausage rolls being made and that's an industrial process and i have seen what goes into those sausage rolls and you know even cakes obviously you know even if you go to a high-end cake shop like bake like a bakery in northern ireland um that was that's my industry, so I I know what goes on there, and I wouldn't need a shop bought cake. <laughs> <laughs> I really wouldn't, and uh, I've seen, yeah, nothing's baked with flour and eggs and sugar. It's it's not. It's packets of this and tubs of that, and 
It's, uh, if you ever wonder, like, if you bake a cake at home and you put your fresh eggs and your butter and your sugar and all, whip it up, put it in the oven, bake it, pretty much by the next day, it's, if you buy, if you make a fresh bunch of cake by the next day, like, you have to eat it that day almost to get the really lovely. But then you sort of think, like, bakeries produce cakes that sit on shelves for three weeks. There's something in there, you know. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of oil in there for a start to... The cake itself might not be fresh because it's been sitting there for three weeks, but the oil in it makes you believe it is. And it's it's a bit grim. It's probably not cold-pressed organic virgin olive oil. Rape seed oil, crudola, things like that they're put into it. It's cheap. It's cheap and it goes into it. It's yeah, it's cheap and it goes into it. it. Sugar won't even go in. It'll just be corn syrup. Your glucose syrup will go into it. It'll not be sugar. It's It's all refined, cheap refined. Corn if anybody ever asks me again why organic handmade artisan mm -hmm. raw food is so expensive i'm gonna flip i'm totally with you on that absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent. and the problem is that there's not enough education for people to understand that mm -hmm. and i and but the, you know the problem is that there's so much poverty in the western world that people are almost forced to buy this cheap crap that I can't mm -hmm. even call it food because mm -hmm. it's not it isn't food it's artificial synthetic chemical crap yeah. that sits on the shelf for weeks and yeah. weeks but back to your back to more optimistic stuff your mm -hmm. education so then you decided okay I'm gonna I'm gonna be a part yeah. of so as much as I'm doing food nutrition a lot of probably probably where I will end up will be in food production again and to actually try and, and get into it and change. We have like great, you know, because people think, oh, processed foods, load of rubbish. But then Mash Direct. I mean, that's a really, really good, there's a processed food, it's a convenience food, it's really healthy. You know, so to get in the industry and try and swing it more in that direction and just to get away. I mean, the reason we use a lot of corn oil and corn syrup is because basically it's subsidised, you know, after the war, um, obviously, there was rations food shortages, so the government sort of looked like, how can we keep the nation fed if there's another catastrophe? And they realised the corn chemists, really we have to blame chemists on this, that they realised corn has a really good shelf life. You can store corn in a silo for years and years and years and years. It doesn't break down, doesn't do anything, it just stays as corn. And they were like, right, corn, just bring it now. Uh, but we can make flour out of that if we mill that down. What else can we make out of it? Let's see what other substances we can extract out of it. So obviously they got corn syrup out of it and they got fat out of it. But like pick up a piece of corn. Does it feel fatty? You know, does it feel oily? Does it does it look sweet? You know, does it taste sweet? Mm. It's not. It's extracted out of it. And what the government, especially the American government, would, and they still do this very day, do this and... um is they pay farmers to farm to grow it because they know that they can store it. So then the food industry twigged onto this. They were like, here, the government's paying people to grow corn. What? Uh, that means that's a really cheap food source. What can we make out of this? And if you buy a packaged food nowadays, if you buy a processed food, it's got corn in it. No matter what you buy, it'll be called, God, it'll be every name, but, but it won't say corn on it. It'll say, you know, modified maize, which again is a GM food. Corn has been, yeah, totally bastardised, just completely. It's definitely one to avoid because you are indeed, by buying those products, you're just perpetuating the consumption of corn. 
And that's why cheap food is cheap. But the thing is, it actually affects your liver more because it just goes straight to your liver. All those sugars are, you know, metabolized differently. But corn's just like the worst thing. Dear food industry, if I wanted to eat fucking corn, <laughs> I'll go wait for when the season is on yeah. and I'll go and buy an organic corn hob and eat that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Got it? It's something that everybody should read into that, seriously. it's, And then that encouraged then GMO came along. Corn was the first thing. People really need to learn to read labels. I mean, because there is, th this whole healthy food industry has grown so much over the past few years. But when you, even what, what really amazes me is that when you actually read labels on the so-called healthier mm -hmm. snack mm -hmm. options, it's modified this, modified this, modified such and such. Uh, how is that even healthy? Just eat proper food. <laughs> That's it. That is just it. As usual, I'm splitting this episode in two because Carrie and I chatted for nearly two hours and even though Carrie did leave me with a recipe for you, um, it will be included with the second part of the interview, which I will release soon. So for now, since we were talking about keto, I am going to leave you with my latest keto adaptation of someone else's originally non-keto recipe. And it's a keto chocolate chip bread. The original recipe can be found at thebigmansworld.com under the title Healthy Chocolate Chip Zucchini Bread. And if you don't follow this guy, I strongly recommend that you do because this culinary genius creates some seriously tasty and healthy takes on desserts and sweet breakfasts. And you can find a wide range of baked as well as raw recipes, some of which are even keto friendly. And all of them are processed sugar free. Check thebigmansworld.com out. You will definitely find something there that you will like. They all have very few ingredients and are super easy to make. My take on this particular recipe is pretty much carb-free and loaded with fiber and good fats. And yeah, I know it's baked, it's not raw, etc, etc. But you know what? We can't get too obsessed about the you know the raw stuff and fresh stuff and about being you know perfect with our diet all the time it is baked but it is still healthy because it's loaded with nutritious and real wholesome ingredients so you know what get bacon what you need for this one is um Oh, by the way, this is for one loaf of approximately 12 slices. And if you don't have a bread tin, the dough is pretty thick. So you might actually get away with not using a bread tin. You can just um, form a bread loaf out of it and stick it on a baking tray. But anyway, so what you need, two medium house avocados mashed. It should be about 200 grams. Um, if you have large avocados, then maybe one and a half might be enough. You'll need 100 grams of coconut flour. If you can, get the organic Bayona one, which is high fiber one or any other 
high fiber coconut flour. Some of the coconut flours are more processed and don't actually contain all the fiber. So just watch out for that. You're going to need 100 grams of pumpkin flour. And pumpkin flour is not something you buy. You just buy pumpkin seeds, organic preferably, and use a really good blender and just mill the flour yourself. You can make it as coarse or as fine as you like. Then you'll need one small courgette. Um, it should be about 75 to 80 grams and it'll be grated. You will need 100 ml of spring water, 65 grams of raw cacao nibs, 65 grams of coconut oil, uh, melted, 50 grams of plain unflavored vegan protein powder. I use pea protein. Um, you can use any protein of your preference, but try to use unflavored one. Um, you'll need 7 grams of psyllium husks, which is about 1 tablespoon, and 1 teaspoon of ground cinnamon, 1 teaspoon of vanilla bean powder. Now, this one is a bit tricky because I know that vanilla bean powder is extremely expensive. And I mean, we're talking, I think now it's about £240 per kilo of it. So it is pricey. Um, and I know that some of you may not be able to afford it or be prepared to pay that kind of money for it. So just use extra cinnamon or um, extra stevia, liquid stevia, or use vegan f um, vanilla flavored uh, vegan protein powder. So it's one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, one teaspoon vanilla, uh, one teaspoon ground ginger, half a teaspoon bicarbonate of soda, half a teaspoon of fresh lemon juice, and some liquid stevia. And then you're gonna need a pinch of salt. Now what you're going to do is you will mix the psyllium husks with the 100 ml of water in a bowl and just let it sit for about 30 minutes. Then you sprinkle some salt on your grated courgette and let it sit in a colander above a bowl or something. That will draw the water out. You want to squeeze the water out of the courgette. There is a lot of water in courgettes, but you do not want the water in your bread. Otherwise the bread will be pretty damn soggy. Then mix all the dry ingredients together until it's well combined. Mash the avocado with the melted coconut oil and stevia. And then mix the avocado into the dry mix and combine it well. Then squeeze the water out of your courgettes, as much water as possible, so the bread isn't soggy. And mix it into the dough. And then mix the bicarbonate of soda with your freshly squeezed lemon juice and mix it into the dough. Now, these bicarbs of soda and lemon juice, when they're mixed together, um, you can see it react together. It'll get fizzy. It's basically a replacement for baking powder. I do not use baking powder because even though you can get gluten-free baking powder, I just don't trust them because <laughs> I'm weird like that. But um, the bicarb of soda and freshly squeezed lemon juice it's gonna do pretty much the same thing. If you want the dough to rise a little, you can let it sit for maybe half an hour, an hour. Um, just stick it in a bowl, cover it up with um, a kitchen towel or something and let it rest. Uh, work the dough into um, bread shape and place it either into a lined bread tin or if it holds the shape, just put it on a baking tray. 
and then bake it for 45 minutes at 180 degrees and that's pretty much it um, you can eat it hot or cold and you can keep it in the fridge it will last for well it never lasts in my fridge for more than five days um, you can also freeze it and then defrost it if you do that then defrost it overnight and grill it or toast it or something or just stick it in the oven for a few minutes before you eat it and make it nice and crispy you can eat it for breakfast or as a quick snack i absolutely love it for breakfast with a big load of homemade sprouted nut or seed butter it is delicious and i think that's it for today if you enjoyed this podcast please do remember to leave us a comment on soundcloud or social media or even better rate us on itunes and leave us a review please it will really help the podcast to get noticed by wider audience and reach those who might find a benefit from some of the information that we share here. And if you enjoyed this particular episode, tune in to the second part. It will be out next week. I promise not to keep you waiting a fortnight. Otherwise, have a lovely couple of weeks. Try some sugar-free, low-carb, real food. And more importantly, whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time. Bye. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot, music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.